Welcome to the Sports On Point Podcast, episode 35. I am your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line, as always, by the phenom, Bob Williams. Hey, guess what, Pod? You're not stealing my thunder this time. Hoorah! Oh, yeah, I based a Cornish hen with a eyedropper. <laughs> and that, of course, was our guy pressing the buttons, Mr. Pod Severance. What up, my sports-loving homies? Well, I don't know. I think we got some playoffs coming up. Some playoffs. 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 The playoffs. 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 The playoffs. Playoffs. <laughs> you sound like a parrot. <laughs> you do. Polly, want a playoff? So, obviously, the playoffs starting off this week, and I think the biggest matchup that uh, has got a lot of people talking is the fact that we do have a 7-9 team in the playoffs, the Seattle Seahawks. And they are playing host because they won their division, and NFL home field advantage rules suck. Um, They won their division, so they're playing host to the defending Super Bowl champ, New Orleans Saints, who are coming into a hostile Seattle Seahawks environment favored by 10.5 points. Is there any chance that we see Seattle moving on to the first round and advancing out of the wild card? On any given Sunday. Right. No, no, that was a movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that they, they have it, that they're not going to or that they don't have an opportunity. It's a very slim chance that they'll be able to do it especially with New Orleans getting people healthy. I know they don't have Thomas, but Reggie Bush coming back. Their wide receivers getting back into sync with um, Drew Brees. And then even their their defense kind of j- coming together and gelling. I highly doubt it, even, even though it is up in Seattle. Keep in mind, this yeah. is the New Orleans Saints team that lost to the what ended up being the 5-11 Cleveland Browns. So I'm not sure if they always... The, uh, keep from playing down to the competition. Well, to be fair, the New England Patriots also lost to the 5-11 and 11 Browns, and I don't see anybody really all too concerned about their playoff chances at this point. But that being said, um, we've got uh, we've got a couple of interesting matchups in the in the in the wild card round. Obviously, obviously, there's there's a slim chance that Seattle makes it out, and I, and I think we've all come to expect that or accept that. But uh, I really feel like the other matchups that we're seeing, the uh, Jets then the Colts should be a really entertaining game. Baltimore-Kansas City I think will be a good matchup. And uh, Green Bay and Philly is actually, to me, aside from the Jets and Colts, I, I think those are the two I'm the most excited about, the the, the Packers and the Eagles. Yeah, that, that game is going to be all about offense you know we could have both quarterbacks throwing for over 400 yards you know a 40 point game on each side not saying that the defenses aren't good or solid it's just that these offenses are that dynamic you know that they can hit you with a pass they can hit you with a run so uh, i agree that this will probably be the bigger matchup but you know it's not going to get the press that the new york jets and indianapolis isn't when you have new york anything versus hey it's peyton manning you know, there, there's going to be a bigger buzz or bigger press release about that game. But I, I agree with you. I, I think the Green Bay Philly is probably going to be the, the best game this week. I think I think the thing that's always intriguing about the Jets and the Colts 
And and obviously these two teams, they, they had a little bit of a history last year. If you recall, the Colts kind of packed it in at the end of the season. They benched uh, they benched Peyton Manning halfway through a game against the Jets in the regular season. The Jets ended up winning that game. And had they not, they would not have even made the playoffs. And then they end up playing against the Colts in the AFC championship game just a few weeks later. So a little bit of history there, but uh, you know the Jets played well against the Colts in the two matchups last year, uh, even though they did end up getting beat in the only matchup that they played where the Colts played their starters for the entire game. They still were competitive for a good portion of the game, and I think one thing that people may not realize is the Colts last year, um, they, they, they or I should say the Jets since last year have added a new corner who's actually been honestly the better of their two corners as Rivas has struggled a little bit this year after missing training camp, but they've added Antonio Cromartie who in his last four games that he played as a San Diego charger against the Colts managed to pick off Peyton Manning four times. So obviously Peyton Manning has a little bit of a mental block when it comes to Mr. Cromartie. Yeah. Not only that Manning is actually going to have some trouble because he is missing some of his key wide receivers uh, with Austin Collie and is Dallas Dallas Clark's out for the year isn't he uh, yes yeah so there there's his two biggest receivers other than Reggie Wayne yeah he's developed a rapport with some of these guys that are that are younger that have come in it's Peyton Manning if you're going to be open he's going to hit you you know it's just a matter of the receiver catching the ball getting uh, breaking away from the cornerback and and, and that so I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, but that's something to make note of. You know, coming playoff time, your third and fourth receivers, your backup tight ends, they usually fade back, and and then stars, the bigger players, you know, go to the, the to the forefront, and they don't have those right now. Sure, I think I think if if there's nothing else in in Peyton Manning's legacy, this that uh, he he's managed to make whatever receivers you've put around him work which obviously we know, of course, there is a whole lot more to Peyton Manning's legacy than just that. But uh, I, I will say he has that uh, that history going for him and, you know, the emergence of Pierre Garçon and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the potential that he has there is, is certainly going to account for something. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, this is, this is going to be a real interesting matchup. And I think another big thing about this matchup is – you could not really be talking about two teams that are more opposite from each other. Everything about the New York Jets, the bravado that they have, the defensive mindedness that they have, the outspoken outspoken coach, and you look on the other side of the field in the Indianapolis Colts, they've got a coach who only gives interviewed because he's required to in his contract. You've got a uh, you know you've got a team that has been offensively minded for the last decade or so, and and has at times been actually among one of the worst defensive teams in the NFL. And uh, it's 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 really intriguing from that aspect because these are just two teams that are so vastly different. And that's what piques our interest, you know. At, <laughs> As sports enthusiasts, it's always. The David versus the Goliath. Not saying that either of these are David or Goliath, but that 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 just complete contrast, like you were saying, it makes sports interesting that way. So you know, early in the uh, early in the 
preseason, uh, then co-host John and I went through and we made some some predictions as far as the NFL season was concerned. And I, I have to admit, I, I only hit three out of six on in both the AFC and NFC. But uh, I had uh, I had kind of picked a preseason Super Bowl of the Ravens versus the Packers. The regular season didn't pan out for those two teams uh, either as well as I, as I had kind of hoped that they would. But uh, I could I could honestly still see that as being a possible matchup, specifically in the NFC, where I don't really think that there's a single team that is head and shoulders above the rest. I think that Green Bay can make a run through. Baltimore would have a much more difficult time, I think, coming out of the AFC um, with the likes of New England and Pittsburgh standing in their way, assuming that that's how everything unfolds. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely going to have to agree with you with with that. It's it's a possibility, you know. Both these teams have the the ability to to get there, and uh, Green Bay definitely has the easiest path. But I will say they have the hardest starting game out out sure. of those two. Uh, no doubt about that. So I, you know, that's that's not a bad not a bad pick from you. You know, you, there, you still have a shot. Still got a shot. Still got a shot. Although, you know, taking the taking the uh, uh, mulligan, uh, I'd, I'd probably go a different route. I think that New England has been playing uh, extremely, extremely well the last half of the season. And it's hard for me to see. It's hard for me to see a Baltimore team knocking them off. And, and it's equally difficult for me to see that same team then going the next week into Pittsburgh and knocking them off. Um, I, I think you're going to see one of those two teams. And, and my mulligan pick is probably going to be the Patriots probably over either the Saints or the Eagles. And actually, I'm kind of feeling the Eagles in this case. I think I think we have a, a matchup of MVP candidates, Brady and Vic. And uh, that's what I'll go down on the record for the second time as predict- predicting. But uh, obviously, if, if the preseason polls uh, pan out, I won't be disappointed with that either. Yeah, you know, you, uh, again, you, you can't go wrong there. Uh, I, I think you can't count out Atlanta or Chicago. I, I know they're not. Yeah, they won their their divisions. They might not be the glamour picks this year. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they, they're that good, you know. Uh, and I know we'll talk about it more next week when, when we probably advance our, our playoff talks or during the weekly rewind. So you can't forget about them, and, and, and you definitely can't count out the Steelers as much as it makes me hurt to say that they're always going to be in the conversation if they're in the playoffs. I will say this on the subject of the Chicago bears, um, John in our, in our season prediction actually specifically said that the Chicago bears were going to be an 11 and five team. And I remember railing on endlessly about how ridiculous that prediction was. So, Hey, I, I guess you can't get them all right. And uh, I'm okay with that. But uh, when I, when I look at the bears, they're a cold weather team, and they play like a cold weather team. They're they're 28th in passing yards, 22nd in rushing yards. So their offense is is meager at best. Um, where they really have excelled is on rushing defense. And in the postseason, from what I'm told, defense and running games is what wins you, what wins you games. And apparently, nobody's going to be able to run against them. They're only giving up 90 yards per game. So can't count them out. The Falcons, of course, have been lights out at home. Um, Matty Ice has been practically unbeatable at the Georgia Dome, so you can't really count them out, especially considering they have home field 
advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. No, I'll go back to your statement about the, the Chicago, about how they're a cold weather team, about how they're built for defense. Remember a few years ago when Chicago went to the NFC championship did, and maybe made it to the Super Bowl? Oh yeah, they made it to the, they made it to the Super Bowl and they got uh, they got beat pretty bad. Pretty bad. But this is the same type of defense. You know, they're built to play defense. They have a quarterback who Jay Cutler's definitely better than Orton. Uh, Rex Grossman or Craig Krenzel. I, I like them. I, I like the fact that they're a defensive team, that they're going to play through their defense, and, and that'll carry them. You know, it, it, as long as their offense, as long as Cutler can manage the game. The key thing there is if they continue the way that they have been able to increase their uh, offensive efficiency and the, the way that they've been able to take a whole heck of a lot better care of the ball this season compared to last season. When you when you play the, the kind of, of, of scratch and claw football game that the Chicago Bears play, any little mistake can be magnified um, uh, significantly. So they're, they're, they're kind of running with a thin margin, but if they keep if they keep being consistent and they keep uh, keep from turning the ball over and making those stupid self uh, uh, you know, self-inflicted uh, wounds. Self-inflicted, yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Self-inflicted mistakes. They should they should pan out well. So who's your who's your Super Bowl pick? What do you what do you got going? You know, I like defense. The fact that we're talking about Chicago, who probably has one of the better defenses in the wet or in the uh, NFC. I'll, I'll go with Chicago. Okay. Uh, ho- hopefully, <laughs> that Jay Cutler doesn't implode which he has the capabilities of doing. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pick Baltimore as, as much as the, <laughs> I, I just think the NFC, NFC North, a- AFC North, maybe that's my bias. Uh, I, I think you can't go wrong with either of those teams, Baltimore or Pittsburgh. I just think with uh, new England, yeah, it's Brady. Yeah. He can throw to whoever, but the fact that they don't have a, a big-time receiver, if they get up against a defense who, who has really good cover corners, you know, say, say the Jets, say they get the Jets. I don't, I don't know if they can, but say they get the Jets and you have Cromartie and Revis out there, I, I think they can potentially stop them, even though they have developed a run game in Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis. You know, obviously, these are the teams that we're talking about because they are the teams fortunate to make the playoffs. A lot of the teams around the league, obviously, not as fortunate. Um, and we were there was there was a lot of talks, um, even as soon as you know three or four days ago, that we could be talking about eleven or possibly even twelve coaching vacancies by the time it was all said and done. So far, it's been a little bit disappointing on the uh, on the coaching carousel. Uh, mainly because, uh, I, in my opinion, because of the lockout being pending, I think that uh, a lot of the coaches have gotten the benefit of the doubt and been able to hang on to their jobs for at least one more year because of the fact that the NFL, as a as a general rule, allows the new coach coming in a little extra time to gel with his team. And if the season is locked out, then teams are, are not holding training camps. Players aren't coming out those extra two weeks to get used to a system. And that whole benefit that they gain when they hire that new coach and, and the ability to get the team more adjusted to the system is, is gone out the window. So I, I think that that's helped out a lot of coaches. 
Um, specifically, let's see, Tom Coughlin was announced that he will be retained. He's got at least one more season with the New York Giants. Do you think that's the right call? Uh, it's not a bad call. Uh, uh, Coughlin's actually kind of the more level-headed conservative coach that you really don't see in New York. You know, look, look at his counterpart up there with uh, Ryan. You know, very flamboyant in his uh comments you know always boisterous there to be aggressive and, and just kind of throw his words to the wind uh coughlin's more cons- you know again more conservative i like his approach I, hey he, my second favorite team is jacksonville and i loved what he did there so i think he can you know give him one more year get him maybe another wide receiver another offensive threat there for eli and shore up that running game and, and then their defense i know their defense for the past few years is it seems like every year they have a defensive lineman who gets hurt you know it was strahan it was uh oc on on the yep. thank you and i think they even lost the uh justin tuck yeah so you know thank you this is this is fun i can just say <laughs> uh uh and you you <laughs> feed it uh justin so, bieber no I hope he gets hurt, but that's a whole different point. If you put him on, if you put him on the Giants' defensive line, I guarantee it would happen. Oh, he would get hurt. You know, some of those dudes would probably knock him conscious. But get them healthy. You know, give them one more year. This this team really isn't that bad. You know, they just barely missed the playoffs. Uh, I think they even down into the final week, they they still had the possibility. Yeah, a ten and six team. You know, get them a little bit more healthy. They can be a playoff caliber team. They were they were last year and the year before that. So you know, why not give them the one more shot? Not a big deal. Well, I was just going to say, like I think the grumbling around Coughlin comes from two things. One, he doesn't exactly have the history of being the most pleasant guy in the locker room, and the the uh, I, I think there's a good possibility that most of the egos that made that problematic in the form of you know Barber and and Strahan are out of the locker room, and maybe that's not an issue anymore. So that's why they feel comfortable moving forward with them. And the other thing, of course, is he's got that whole uh, I, I think it's a New York state of mind kind of a thing with the. Uh, with the Giants and the Mets where they just tend to blow it late in the season. And, and Tom Coughlin has been uh, on the receiving end of those late season uh, basically drop-offs in a couple of his years there. So I, I think that's what the grumbling has been about. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with, with him with him keeping his job <laughs> I, I, like, I, like I really have any say in it or anything like that. But uh, I can understand why they would want to hang on to him. I think a lot of his issues, at least half of his issues, um, they feel a lot better about than they, than they did before. Um, I, 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 speaking of retained uh, coaches today, the, the Bengals announced that they were going to keep Marvin Lewis again. How do you feel about that? Well, here's here's how I feel about it. In much in the same vein as the way I feel about the um, about the San Diego Chargers and their decision to retain Coach Nora Perner is that this is a team that is now apparently striving for mediocrity, and that's what they've gotten from Marvin Lewis. And actually, that might even be generous. To say that he was a medio, he's been mediocre because uh, you know he's had his years where he's been good, but most of them have been pretty bad. And uh, I, I don't necessarily don't necessarily know what the thought process is there, 
But the thing with the Bengals, you know, it's been harped on many, many times before about this being a poorly run organization. And essentially what it boils down to is when it comes to the coaching, the coaching personnel moves and those types of decisions, they generally boil down to one decision maker and, and, and only one, whereas most teams in the NFL have a team of sometimes as many as 12 players or uh, I'm sorry, 12 staff members who are working on those types of decisions and, and, and weighing all the angles. So maybe this isn't a team that is most well-equipped to handle a long, broad-reaching search for a coach that might uh, you know might follow the, the canning of a guy like uh, Marvin Lewis. Yeah, I... I <laughs> We'll, we'll sit. We'll sit here and, and always talk about the Bengals. They they are the other Ohio team. Uh, I think they aptly, unfortunately, for their organization, have the uh, nickname of the Bungles. Uh, they seem to misplay a lot of personnel issues there for a while. Marvin Lewis had the team going the right directions. Carmel, Carson Palmer got hurt, and then it just seemed like it imploded. You know, they started getting guys who had questionable character issues, uh, egos, and it just kind of went downhill. I, I, we're going to go back to the fact that you said the, the lockout's coming, or the supposed lockout's coming. So that's why you're seeing some of these weird, random choices with coaches. You know, that's why Tom Coughlin's not a bad choice of staying. That's why, hey, Marvin Lewis, not a bad choice to, to keep him one more year, especially if there isn't a lock, you know, especially if there is a lockout it doesn't hurt the organization too bad, but they, they definitely uh, need to step away from this general manager, this VP. Uh, it, it, it's very similar to, to Minnesota. You know, there has to be a change in culture. I know we talk about this all the time, but look at the winning organizations in any major sports and they have some sort of winning culture, you know, seamless transition. They can put players into positions and, and, you know, yeah, there's a level difference in, in the, in the player's talent, but there's no conflicts. There's no issues. It just, it just seems to work just the same with a little bit less talent. You know, look, look at new England, you know, with Bill Belichick, it's been a culture. They can replace anyone, any position. And, and it seems to go well. Same with Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Green Bay, all these teams that don't take character issue guys, we're going to have to, you know, every once in a while do that. But for, for Cincinnati, they need to change culture. Simple as that. For, for me, they need to cut whoever the VP, whoever the GM is, he needs to go, and they need to get a new coach. I, I don't think Marvin Lewis will, will be there too long next year. No, I, I agree with you. Now, now speaking of speaking of not being there too long, we've got we've got two, three, four teams that are working with interim coaches at the moment. As we know, um, Leslie Frazier had the interim tag removed. It looks increasingly more likely that Dallas will do the same with Jason Garrett. Um, I think both of those scenarios boil down to, like we said, the fact that we do have a potential for a lockout coming next season. Nobody wants to make a gamble on a court, on a on a uh, paying big money to a, a head coach who won't have a chance to coach or instill his system this year. Um, the, the other two interim coach situations, the Denver Broncos, of course, just recently appointing John Elway as the vice president of player personnel. Um, 
supposedly they are in the race along with the 49ers who are have done away with their interim coach for such big names as John Harbaugh, um, John Gruden. Um, you know, they're, they're playing their cards to try to get the big name coaches in, but uh, they're also looking at some guys like uh, Perry Fuel from the Giants, their defensive coordinator, and uh, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator from the Saints. So they've got their eyes on, of course, the established guys that everybody else is looking at, as well as some of the uh, up-and-comers, uh, the the coordinators that are looking to move up into that head coaching role. Uh, Greg Williams. Greg Williams' name's been floating around for the past few years as one of the top assistants. I'm surprised he hasn't got a job yet. Uh, and, and maybe this is the year. You know, maybe some of these teams that that are looking for the big names, like the Harbaugh's, like the Gruden's, uh, you know, miss on the opportunity, and, and you finally see someone like a Greg Williams stepping into into a position. Uh, and, and maybe excelling, maybe not. You know, that's that's the world of, of coaching carousel. It, it's always fun to see where it stops and, and see who's there next year and who's not. Sure. And I think uh, I think one of the one of the more interesting moves that has happened this year has uh, got to be the firing of Tom Cable. I think uh, I think when we came into the season, there were some some margin. There were some marginal folks out there in the media who expected big things from the Raiders, but for the most part, the expectations out in Oakland were pretty low. And all in all, an eight and eight record is not that bad. It's better than the Raiders have been able to pull off in the last several years. And on top of that, a six and zero record in division. Tom Cable's firing to me just continues down a long path that Art Davis is or Al Davis has been going down for for quite some time now where he is making that job less and less attractive by the second. I don't know who in their right mind would be willing to go take the coaching job in Oakland. Well just think about their last few coaches. John Gruden got ran out of town. Bill sure. Callahan got ran out of town. Lane Kiffin rightfully got kicked out of town. And now you have a guy who makes the ship seem a little less turbulent shoved out of town. <laughs> this is this is very similar to the to the uh <coughs> New Orleans Hornets problem uh in in the fact that there there's an owner who just kind of lost all control. And I I <laughs> hopefully the NFL steps in and and writes the ship maybe maybe not taking the organization but kind of kind of saying hey davis you you've had your run you need to to sell you know you need to look at potential buyers because he's not helping oakland at all you know that's that's a traditional football team and yeah they were relevant in gruden and in callahan in, in the early 2000s but even before that they really hadn't hadn't stuck around too long you know it, it it's just not the glory days that Al Davis, you know, when you usually think of the Raiders. So I, I think this is similar to the Joe Paw thing. He just needs to, ste- to step aside and, and let the organization or, or the university find its own way. I, I think it's the best for them. Yeah, I think the what's the old Oakland the old Oakland Raiders statement was uh, what was it? Stri- or commitment to excellence. I think I think a more fitting a more fitting statement would be commitment to pestilence. That's kind of the way the organization has been run the last couple of years. Or let's just On be the, committed. The 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 flip side of that, uh, you know, the the Titans owner Bud Adams 
um, has managed to stick with his coach for quite some time. In fact, Jeff Fisher has been the longest tenured coach in the NFL. Looked like he was possibly going to be on some thin ice in this offseason. But uh, just recently, today and, and yesterday, uh, Bud Adams came out and gave uh, kind of a vote of confidence, more or less, for Jeff Fisher by acknowledging that even though he had been fighting with him for quite some time about the future of Vince Young in Tennessee, he came out and decided that uh, Vince Young is not the Tennessee Titans quarterback of the future and he will not be returning next season. So life in, life in Tennessee stays as it always has with Jeff Fisher at the helm and uh, Vince Young on his way out of town. Jeff Fisher reminds me of Greg Popovich or Jerry Sloan of the uh, NBA. He's just a guy who, yeah, might not have some great teams. He'll weather their storm, but you kind of know what to expect from him. You know, he's a classy, quality guy, and and that's tough to find almost nowadays. So I, I like Bud Adams retained Jeff Fisher. Hopefully, you know, for Vince Young, he'll, he'll he'll get caught on. You know, some team will take a chance on him. There's still a lot of openings out there that, that he can have. You know, you do have Carolina. You do have uh, Oakland, just to name two, that are, that are searching for a quarterback that he could possibly land. Uh, in, in retrospect, you know, you also have to look at the fact that they have Chris Johnson there at running back if he's healthy. He's a guy that you can bring in a quarterback, a, a, an older quarterback, like a, another Kerry Collins, who can possibly salvage their offense and keep things going. A couple other, couple other coaching situations just to touch on real quick. Obviously, we all know that Eric Mangini was let go in Cleveland, um, prompting uh, Adam Schefter and uh, you know some other anchor on ESPN to give each other high fives. Um, somewhat a little bit classless in the case of uh, you know high fiving a gentleman losing his job, but hey, um, Mangini ousted in Cleveland. Um, uh, there was rumors, obviously, of Jack Del Rio being on the hot seat in the beginning of the year, but he had a good season, so he keeps his job. It seems like that's kind of a running theme every year. Jack Del Rio is on his last chance, and he always seems to pull it out in the end of the season. Um, I think one of the big surprises, I thought personally, that Gary Kubiak was going to be um, – shown the door in Houston. They've managed to retain him for another year and, in fact, added Wade Phillips as a defensive coordinator. So uh, Kubiak's future is probably looking slightly better than it has at least in the last couple of weeks. But uh, one of the things that's really kind of shocked me that I, when I read it was the Miami Dolphins um, have been supposedly reaching out to Bill Cower and Jim Harbaugh, you know, the big guys, about possibly coming in and being the new head coach of Miami Meanwhile, they haven't even fired Tony Sperano yet, and and I, I hadn't really read much inclination that that was incredibly likely. So I think that's kind of a unique scenario, Sperano probably being a little bit disrespected down in Miami. I say down in Miami like I'm not sitting in Miami right now. Well, technically, oh, wait, you, you they could be further down. You could be on the north side of Miami. I'm not. I'm on the south side of Miami. Oh. Well, yeah. I tried to logically help you out there, but I got <laughs> no, I got there's, owned. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for that one. Okay. Well, I'm assuming most of our audience is, is south of. So, anyways, you know, some some bad days, of course, for Eric Mangini and a couple other folks around the NFL, but none of them, I think, match up at all 
with uh, New Year's Day in what proved to be a very, very, very bad day for the Big Ten, um, losing uh, five out of five games played by the conference on the uh, national spotlight that was uh, New Year's Day bowl games. Yeah, and and not only did they they lose, it's it's how they lost some of those games. Uh, you, you had Michigan getting completely torched, fifty-two to fourteen to Mississippi State. I I don't I, I'm not a a Michigan fan at all. But you know when you think of Michigan, you don't think of that, especially not to a, a Mississippi State squad you know as i won't say a second rate but a second tiered sec team on a good year which this year they were it's just crazy you know i i think if rodriguez would have kept that game a little bit closer or possibly won he might he might still be there but the fact that it was their worst bowl loss in history (laughs) Rich, rich rodriguez is in the history books at michigan for all the wrong reasons oh yeah Oh yeah, and and I think I think to be fair, I I, I, I put it on uh, I put it on a couple of you know social media venues that I, I really felt going into January first that it was going to be a very bad day for the Big Ten, and the reason that I say that is because the matchups were terrible. Michigan should not have been in a bowl game. They have a seven and six record, which I know technically makes them bowl eligible. They have a big fan base, so it's attractive for a uh, a bowl organization like the Gator Bowl to to invite a team like Michigan. And if you're Michigan, obviously you take up the opportunity. But Michigan has been extremely, extremely inconsistent offensively. What has been the strength of their team? is by far their offense, but it's been inconsistent. And when they play against solid defenses, as they did against Mississippi State, they can't put up the points they can against other teams. And then on the flip side, Michigan has had a really hard time defending quarterbacks who can throw a football and running backs who know how to move with the ball in their hands. So you mean Um, anybody with an offense that has a pulse? You got it. So I, I think the fact that they even were playing in a bowl matchup was just really kind of a setup for failure on the part of the Big Ten. The the other matchups that you're looking at, uh, Northwestern Texas Tech, yeah, okay, Northwestern got beat 38-45 to 45 in an offensive shootout, and I don't really think that you feel too bad about that one as a conference because I think those are pretty even-keeled teams, and they played a competitive game. Well, I, I'm actually going to disagree with that. They're even keeled if Dan Purse is in the game, but he was out for the year. Northwestern was down big and somehow rallied to, to make it a game. So I, I'm giving props to Northwestern to, to, to hang in there without their their all-conference quarterback. You know, Purse definitely led that team to the record that they had this year, and it, it's tough going into a bowl game with, with a, a, a second or your backup quarterback. The big, the big one I think stings, uh, stings really bad for the Big East. Actually, or Big Ten, I should say the two that sting really bad. Um, Michigan State, forty-nine to seven, losing to Alabama. This is Alabama, though. 
this is a team that beats other teams 49 to 7. The fact that they're number 16 in the country is only due to the fact that they played an extremely tough SEC schedule. I don't think that anybody is really surprised that this Alabama team might actually be pretty darn good considering they were number 1 team in the country for a portion of the season. So, I you know, the the number 16 ranking next to the name Alabama is very misleading. Yeah, Michigan State was tied for the Big 10 championship. And they should have put on a better performance. But let's not forget that the, the rankings of a 9 versus a 16 is not an accurate portrayal of the talent on these two teams. No, definitely Alabama played in the toughest division of a conference this year. Uh, we'll say the SEC East was kind of eh <laughs> this Agreed. year. Uh, so, you know, you have an Alabama team who was the third team in not only the SEC, but the SEC West. Definitely was better than the 16 rank. Uh, they, you know, they lost to uh, LSU and Auburn. You know, those are those those are two of your other big teams. Uh, and they barely squeaked out a win at Arkansas. So uh, you would have liked to keep it close, but you knew the talent was there for, for Alabama to just go ape. And, and unfortunately for Michigan State, they, they let them. They let them run right all over them. So yeah, you, it, give, you give, you give uh, Nick Saban 30 days prepare. That's what's going to happen. Yes. Um, so I would have liked it close. So th- this one's definitely the stinging the hardest out of them all, especially since MSU, uh, Michigan State, was, was talking about how they should have been in a BCS game. Well, they proved that they didn't deserve to be in a BCS game, uh, let alone this game. Sure. The other one, of course, that stings really bad if you're the Big Ten is TCU knocking off number five, Wisconsin. Here's another one. I'm going to go flip side of the Alabama argument here. Um, TCU is the number three team in the country. They beat the number five team in the country by two points. That tells me that these two teams did exactly what every voter in every poll expected of them throughout the entire course of the season. Yeah, and and honestly, if if you look at the stats of the game, you have no turnovers. Uh, you have penalties that are that are leaning a little bit more uh, TCU. They had four penalties for 20 yards, where Wisconsin had six penalties for 41. When you think of Wisconsin football, what do you think about, Matt? Running the football. Running the football, time of possession. Absolutely. You know, possession, 36-35 to TCU's 23-25. They just couldn't. (laughs) It it seems like they just couldn't find find the end zone when, when they were down there. Uh, they did have two field goals in, instead of, you know, finishing the actual drive. I know they talked about uh, after the, the fact that in the second quarter you had a field goal as time expired, but I think they were sitting on some uh, timeouts. So I think uh, Belema, Brett up there, uh, definitely kind of pulled a less miles with the, the mismanagement of the clock. And, and the same thing in, in the end, you know, their last drive to, to, to sort of almost tie it up if they would have got the two-point conversion, they just seemed to take too long. And, and that was their biggest downfall, was their strength of running the ball and taking time off the clock. 
So bottom line, I think moving into next year, the solution for the Big Ten is we don't send teams that don't deserve bowl games to bowl games. And let's just try to keep the Big Ten from playing on New Year's Day altogether because on all other days they were 3-0. and out. <laughs> yeah, but you, you can't look at it just this year. Uh, last year was definitely a better byproduct of the January 1st. Uh, and other than like the SEC, I, I would say the Big Ten definitely has the toughest bowl schedule uh, of the bunch. You know, usually you do have two Big Ten teams in the BCS, Wisconsin, Ohio State, one 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 loss. Then you have the SEC. I think there's three matchups of the SEC that they usually have. Uh, unfortunately, this year, none of them went <laughs> anywhere near <laughs> how they could have or, or, so I, I don't think that you can you can say that, hey, look, don't play them on New Year's. This, this was just not a, a good year, good matchup when it came to bowls. And, of course, uh, it doesn't help that the big signature win for the Big Ten came on the backs of five players who probably shouldn't been shouldn't have been playing. That, of course, being the big Sugar Bowl victory by High State over the University of Arkansas. Yes, but anytime you say that, you have to have the rebuttal of Cameron Newton. Absolutely. So the NCAA will do what they please, and we'll just whine about it all the time. That's that's the way it works. That's the way it will always work. And unless Mark Cuban can step in and do something about it, that's the way it's going to continue to be forever and ever. Amen. And that being said, gentlemen, I believe we have rambled on about these things for far too long. Let's move it to the outro, and we'll get back with you next week. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send us your suggestions on how we can improve the show and your comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646 646- Three nine seven six four. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you have a good week. Enjoy the national title game. Oregon Auburn should be nothing less than spectacular. Who you got, Matt? Set you up for disappointment. Uh, I've got Auburn. They play defense. Oregon doesn't. That's the big. That's the big difference. Hey, guess what? I'm gonna go opposite. Go Ducks. Quack quack quack. Peace out, listening audience.